they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. And I generally tend to agree with that logic. Say, for example, that you were to try to describe to somebody what all is happening right now here in worship. How many words would you use to describe me preaching in the pulpit and all of you sitting in the pews and online watching, as well as the things that people are wearing? Maybe the thoughts are going on in your mind, or perhaps how even the structure of the with the architecture and the atmosphere, how it brings our ideas to think of God and God-centered worship. How many words would you use? If you were like me, you probably would use a lot. Anywhere close to a thousand, if not over a thousand, to explain everything that takes just a few seconds for you and me to look around and to get and to capture and remember. Or if you remember traveling a day before Wi-Fi and smartphones, how many words would you read with all the different guidebooks or the brochures or the instructions as you figured out what you wanted to do, what was going to happen, and then how you make the best use of your time? I did a little bit of that before smartphones became too common. Remember the thousands of words I would read. They now can just be on Google Images or follow directions, and boom, just like that. It takes care of all of it for you. Because, you see, when, when you want to describe something that's not there in front of you, you often need to use words. And oftentimes it's with many words. That's a bit what we have going on this morning in our sermon this morning from our verses in Revelation chapter 1, which point our eyes to the last day when Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords with all the power he has as Christ the King himself, but it does so in Revelation's typical style of using specific phrases or titles or figurative image that packs a whole lot more content than just the mere word count behind it. And on this morning, as we look at Jesus coming as Christ the King, we see who he is. He is Christ, the promised Savior of old, who has fulfilled everything needed to save us from our sins. And he's also the King, with the power of God himself to do whatever he wills and wishes in line with his primary uh, will to save us and to have us be his own. And when we look at the coming scene that's going to come on the last day of all the power and the glory and the might, our first reaction may be to shrink back a little bit, to get a little bit a gun shy, maybe. But for us Christians, there's nothing to be fearful of or to be afraid of. But rather, a day that we can look forward to with great rejoicing. Because the one who is coming on that day is none other than Christ our King, whose almighty and timeless reign is now happening and its wonderful saving aspects to it, but also too, as we consider what will happen on that day in particular, has us rejoice all the more than the rejoicing that's going on right now from you and me and every other Christian. Our verses in particular, they point our eyes ahead to what is going to happen on the last day, but that's not just talking about things that are going to be true on Sunday, but also some truths that are happening right now, specifically about what it means that Christ, that Jesus is Christ our King and the kind of reign that he has as King. And the one thing about this reign is that it is one that is timeless. We hear that from Revelation's own words, which describes Jesus as the one who is, who was, and who is coming, teaching us from this very peculiar Greek grammar that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. He will never change 
or pull the rug out from underneath you and change things around on you. It is also too, as Jesus would say about himself with his own words here, he says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet showing us that he is the first and the last, the one who was around before anything else was, and the one who will be around for all eternity without beginning and without ending. And from this we learn that Jesus says Christ our King, he reigns is timeless. That is, it's been happening it's happening now, and it's going to continue on happening with no end in sight because, frankly, there is no end to his reign ever. But this reign is also one of power, one of almightiness. We again hear where Revelation talks about Jesus as the one who is coming with the clouds. Clouds were often used in biblical imagery to signal God's presence and power. And you think of Mount Sinai. And the cloud that just hung over Mount Sinai thundered and rumbled for so many days in a row. Or the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites in the wilderness. Where that cloud was, you have God's presence. And it's just a small bit of it. And here we have Jesus with those clouds, with God's own power and presence, using all that Old Testament imagery that perhaps you know so well. But also, this Jesus more than just with a bunch of clouds around him. He's also, as Revelation says, the ruler of the kings of the earth, which again speaks to his incomparable power. Even in our technological age where world's leaders can, can peer into the very depths of outer space or in the doomsday scenario can blanket the whole world with radiation with just one single command. Even with all their power, they have nothing on Jesus. Even with all their power combined. From this we see that Jesus' reign is one of almightiness, one of timelessness, in line with him as the Christ, whose primary purpose is to reign for our salvation, so that we can be his and be freed from our sins. This is a reign that's not just happening someday in the future. It's a reign that is happening now. But would you agree that Jesus' reign is one of almightiness and timelessness based on your own life experiences? Maybe you doubt the power that Jesus has as the king. Maybe in terms of its almightiness. You look at the, the God's mighty acts of old that he did as described in the Bible, and you look at the deafening silence of today and wonder, where is he today? Where is he guiding the course of the world's events according to his will? And where is that happening today? Maybe he's lost that power. Maybe you question the timelessness of his reign in the struggles that you personally go through in life. We are plenty of examples of how God individually and personally visits with his believers on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And yet, where is he in our life with the hurts that we've gone through? the sins that we've committed. Is God's promises still the same as beforehand that he cares for me in particular? Or maybe our doubts go to Jesus as the Christ, the salvation that he says that it is for us. With, with the many sins that we cannot help but keep on committing, hopefully we keep on honestly repenting of, perhaps we ask ourselves, is there a limit to God's forgiveness? 
that after sometimes he just will not forgive that same sin over and over and over because clearly we keep doing it over and over and over. Or perhaps those sins that just have grave consequences, the results that you can't just cover over or make up for, results that last for generations and make a mess of so many people's lives. Can God forgive me for something I can't even forgive myself of? When it comes to understanding Jesus as Christ the King, we do well to remind ourselves what kind of King he is. Because if we don't, we can end up like Pontius Pilate was in our Gospel reading, who didn't realize the person who was right there in front of him, and at least in that moment, did not recognize it. Because you see, Jesus is not a king in the traditional sense, whose reign is found here in this world, but rather his reign is found spiritually, in the hearts of believers, and physically in heaven above, that until the last day comes, we're not expecting to see that physically up there. And just as Jesus' reign is found in unexpected places, so it also, Jesus reigns in unexpected ways. That is, he's not flexing his muscles, showing off his power just to show off to people like so many of our world rulers do today, just to show how strong they are. No, he uses his power in line with his mission as the Christ, the salvation of souls. And if it doesn't need to be public, well, then he's not going to make it public. But that doesn't mean that Jesus' power was a thing of the past and that now it's just in hibernation or in waiting until the last day. But in fact, this reign is going on just as before with its almightiness, with its timelessness, just as it was beforehand. After all, can anyone truly say that God's hand is not at work guiding the course of our world events according to his will? Or could someone say that God isn't allowing us to go through the struggles in life for our good? To strengthen us in our faith? To keep us looking to him for help instead of looking to ourselves? And in fact, when you look through what the Bible says, or talk those with aged experiences and the scars that come from being a Christian in a sinful world, we see that more often than not, God's hand is there, it's unseen. It's, it's, it's working behind the scenes. That his reign is still timeless. It is still almighty. And even though he doesn't spell it out to us as he did in the Bible's words of so long ago, that doesn't mean he's, he's gone. We just don't see it. We just don't recognize it. But we also can be certain that our king's reign is still happening today because of what Revelation shares with us, but what all our Savior has done for us. As Jesus, as the one who, who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father. In, in loving us, we see just how timeless our Savior is, who loved us before the world even began. And before you and I were even known to be coming to our parents, he knew who we were and marked us to be his. And because this love in particular is an agape love, it's one that's coming from God, one directional to us entirely for our benefit. And that's not going to change. In freeing us from our sins, we see how Jesus shows his reign being almighty, doing something that only God can do. Because not only did Jesus live a perfect life, but also he offered it up on the cross to shed his very blood 
so he could pay the price for our sins. That sacrifice has now been accepted. The price has now been paid in full so that all that is left for us Christians to do is to simply believe and receive. To believe that Jesus is the Christ. And to receive his gift of forgiveness that frees us from all of our sins. You remember those many sins that we keep on committing and that hopefully we keep on repenting of? Remember those sins that just have devastating results that just can never be overlooked or forgotten? You're freed from those sins too. Because Jesus is the Christ, you know those sins are taken away. And because he is the king, he has the power to do what he has said, to say with his own powerful words of God himself that you are not just freed from your sins, but you are counted among his saints, citizens of his kingdom, loved by him. But Christ the King does more than just simply free us from our sins. He also has made us a kingdom and priest to God our Father. In making us a kingdom that we are ruling with Christ in ways that will be made known on the last day. And as priests to God, we can go directly to God. We don't need to go through somebody else. We have direct access to him anytime, anywhere, with anything on your mind. Confident that he will listen and respond for your best welfare. All of these are true now because Christ is now reigning. For his saving reign is both timeless and almighty that brings us such great and wonderful blessings who are privileged to be in that kingdom of his. In these last days before the last day, there is indeed reason to rejoice. But as we look to what is to come, and to the visible coming of Christ our King, we see there's even more reason to rejoice than the reasons we have right now. It's because not just simply who it is that is coming, but what he will do for us on that great and wonderful day. As we heard from Revelation, describing what will happen on that last day, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. We see Jesus coming with those clouds, uh, signaling God's power and, and presence. And every eye is going to see his coming. No one's going to miss the memo or is going to sleep through his second return. Not even those who have passed away. But in fact, all those who have passed away will be raised back to life, including the very Roman soldiers who pierced Jesus' side with a spear to see if he truly was dead on that cross. When every eye is looking at Christ the King in all his power and glory and might, there will also be mourning from the nations of the world. Because those who don't have faith in Christ will soon realize just who Jesus truly is. The Christ, the King. And they'll realize the errors of their way. And there will sadly be no more time to come to faith or any second chances. And just as they spent their earthly life without God, with that, without Jesus in their life, so they will spend all eternity without Jesus as they suffer in the depths of hell below. And this just brings the only response possible, that of mourning, of what's going to be the case. But for we Christians, there will be no mourning. There will be rejoicing. 
Because the one who is coming with the clouds, the one who is coming with all the power and the might is none other than Christ our King, our promised Savior, who says with his own declaration that we are freed from sins and among his citizenry. But also we rejoice because of what he will do for us on that day. As Revelation says, as the firstborn from the dead. You see, in the culture of the time, to be the firstborn of something was that you were going to set the pattern of all those who follow after you. And we see with the firstborn of the dead that Jesus sets the pattern of those who pass away with saving faith. That they die, they come back to life, they enjoy heaven, both body and soul united together, and they will never die again. It is on this last day that you, me, and every other Christian will follow in the pattern that Jesus set when he rose from the grave on Easter morning. That we will rise back to the life, assuming we're not alive already when the last day happens. That we will enjoy heaven, both body and soul, united together, and that will never, ever end. That is indeed something great to rejoice for. That will be ours come the last day. Thinking of that last day, though, nobody knows when it's going to happen. But when we see Christ coming with the clouds, and everybody realizes what we know by faith of who Jesus truly is, do you want to be among those who are mourning or those who are rejoicing? To be among those who are rejoicing, take today to prepare yourself for that last day. To look to Jesus as the Christ, your promised Savior, who has freed you from every sin you've ever done by the blood he shed on that cross for you. Look to Jesus as the King, who has the power of God himself to do everything that he says he is going to do, primarily that of our salvation. And then join your brothers and sisters in Christ as we continue to keep our faith founded in Jesus as we patiently wait for that last day whenever it's going to happen, but also use the remaining time to tell others who don't know who Jesus is. So they too may rejoice with us when we see who is coming with the clouds, Christ the King himself. Amen.